Good morning. That was really cool. I could have let you guys just talk for a while. You actually wanted to talk to each other. That is a great thing. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our series. This is how I say it. What is it you do here? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And today we discuss leadership, which for most of us can be a pretty foul word. If we have had leadership that has possibly hurt us, let us down, abused us, or treated us in a way that felt unfairly. But in the kingdom of God, God actually means leadership for the sanctification, the growth, the spiritual growth of many through both good and bad circumstances. And a reflection of God's goodness and also a foreshadowing of our desperate need for a good shepherd and a better king. Leadership today, as we discuss about what do we do here, is honestly, in a church context, usually seen as pretty dang awful. But yet there is an opportunity for God's grace to abound and for people to reflect and glorify God in leadership. And while there is a lot of opinions and experiences that each of us can bring to a subject like this, as we spoke about at length last week, all we do comes through a gospel lens of God's word, the Bible, and what it says regarding leadership and glorifying God. Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the story of God through the book of Genesis, specifically chapters 1 through 3, of God creating man in God's image, and then in chapter 3, sin enters into the fray. Sin enters into the fray, and the world is never the same, and on top of that, the idea of authority has become something to fight against, rather than to live in the freedom of God's authority over us. Leadership then might be seen in a bunch of skewed ways, especially in the church, because either being led becomes a hit to our egos, or thinking we don't need to follow anyone, or perhaps it becomes an ego booster, where we believe that we deserve to be a leader, and everyone should follow us. And throughout the Old Testament, there were these kings, some that didn't seem all that bad, some that were far from, or all that were far from perfect, and there were kings that were just terrible. And both showed a need for a perfect king. And sometimes the people followed their king. And sometimes they didn't follow their king. But all of history of these kings were a foreshadowing of the example of our need for a better king, a true king, a perfect king, and his name is Jesus. The truth is, leadership is a really mixed bag. Because from what I have seen, it tends to be most glorifying to God when we neither expect to be in charge nor abdicate or give up responsibility of leading when we are entrusted it. So today we will discuss what it means to be a leader here in the church, and we're specifically going to talk a lot about Church of the Valley. First, specifically as an elder who has been entrusted the responsibility of caring for the flock within the church community. And just so you know, the church is not the steeple, it is the people. Remember that, all right? So it's not the steeple, it is the people. And then we'll discuss what it means to follow Christ through leadership within a church community. When Paul spoke to Timothy about the leaders in the church in Ephesus, before he spoke of what the characteristics were expected of an elder, here's what he said. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. This role within a church context, to be a leader, to be an elder, specifically, is noble. Not because it makes you a better person by having authority, but because the responsibility is, well, it's a lot of work. Let's be real. 
And within that work comes a lot of opportunity to be responsible or to drop the ball and to abdicate that responsibility. And while there is grace for mistakes, to not actually care about the responsibility that is entrusted to someone when you're a leader, when you're an elder, is a great way to show that perhaps you're not actually a leader. But biblically, leadership is more about serving than it is about authority. It is more about responsibility than it is about title. It is more about God's order than it is about the individual. And when it comes to leading in this church, we have what Paul called a noble task that is exercised by what are called elders. Elders, overseers, bishops, hi Bishop Mike, bishops, pastors, they all tend to be a synonym for the same thing, and they're all shepherds. And a shepherd cares for the sheep. I'm a sheep. Some of you remember that you also are sheep, yes. And a shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And while perhaps as leaders and elders in the church of the living God, we don't run secret service for each and every person who attends the church gathering periodically, elders and leaders do give up their time. They are available in off times. They do sacrifice things that those that do not lead may never have an opportunity to sacrifice. So let's talk a little bit about how leadership works at Church of the Valley. Six years ago, I like to remind people this, I was voted in unanimously as the fifth lead pastor in the history of Church of the Valley. I came onto a staff of three other people, including my dear sister and friend, Barbara Simmons, in the cheap seats. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Now, we had leaders of different committees within the church that made up a leadership council that would be the governing body to make decisions in cooperation with the lead pastor. Hi, that's me. And over some time, we noticed that much of the leadership structure had people in leadership positions that either did not attend the church or in some cases did not have a vested interest in the gospel of grace. And in a couple of cases, there were some people that had been baptized, had been serving, but did not actually have belief in the same God that is preached throughout the Old and New Testaments. None of you thought you were going to come to church today and hear some tea spilled, huh? But here we go. Now, in one of these meetings, we were studying different uh, passages, many that we covered as we went through the book of Acts. And the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we'll study half of it today, and plus a passage in Titus chapter 1. And one of the leaders, who had been a leader for decades, said that perhaps we should have more than just one elder, which was me, the lead pastor, which I personally agreed with and definitely supported. The problem was that even though there was a sense of accountability with the pastor by the heads of these different ministries, if not all of the leaders were consistently a part of the life of the church and not personally confessing faith in Jesus Christ, accountability breaks down pretty quickly, kind of like uh, someone working at In-N-Out that's a vegetarian. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just weird, and it was difficult, and we weren't all headed in the same direction with the same goals in mind. So after a leadership meeting, I was personally tasked with praying through and identifying a few good candidates to be elders within the church community. Now, from a practical standpoint, the possible elders in mind would need to be faithful participants within the community that cared about the gospel of grace, and their faith was both seen in words and in deeds. But much of those identifying marks probably had more to do with correcting, and perhaps in some cases, even overcorrecting the norm that was before. 
But then we took the characteristics from what Paul told Timothy and Titus and walked through these expectations as the markers for if someone was a possible elder candidate. So let's look at those words. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we read this. Here's the trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, a bishop, a deacon, an elder, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Pause. So you may notice that church participation is not specifically called out here. But you may also notice that Paul had specific things that would only be known about a person if they were participating in the life of the church and were known by the other people in the congregation. He says to be above reproach, to be blameless, or to be someone that is above accusations, not meaning that an accusation excludes someone, but that the accusations are not founded upon them. To be faithful to his wife. An elder must not have a lifestyle that allows another woman or person to have a relationship with said elder that can impersonate their wife. While, while adultery is usually seen as the physical, adultery and this idea of being faithful to his wife includes the emotional. Far too often emotional affairs happen prior to anything physical ever taking place and should be protected against. Paul says to Timothy, pick elders who are temperate, restrained, not extreme in any type of thing that could become an idol or become something that they are then dependent upon. To be self-controlled in your lifestyle and the way you handle yourself. And on top of that, to be respectable. Someone that doesn't require respect, but someone who earns respect in the way that they carry themselves. Hospitable. That word looks a lot to me like hospital to be a hospital to people, to care for them, and to make others not feel like a stranger is one of my favorite definitions. That they would be able to teach, not necessarily from a pulpit, or in this case, a music stand, but to be able to express and communicate and correct with God's will and God's word in mind. And then Paul goes back to a type of self-control. Specifically, it means to not be given to drunkenness, all right? Depending on your church heritage, depending on your church tradition, people tend to make this a law that you don't actually see in Scripture, not being given to drunkenness, but like Eve telling the serpent in Genesis 3 that she was not allowed to touch the tree. See, the irony was no one said anything about touching the tree. Just don't eat of the fruit from the tree. And ever since we added to God's law, things like not given to drunkenness have become don't watch beer commercials, right? Like that's how extreme it has become. And maybe not that extreme, but sort of. And so as a leader, as an elder in the church, Paul is telling Timothy, don't choose those who are identified by their drunkenness because they do lack self-control and are finding their fulfillment in something that cannot bear to hold their identity. identity. Here's my point. Moderation, people, it's a thing. I recommend it. Moderation in all things. But Paul says, not violent, but gentle. Because one who is not, who is not only quick-tempered, but physically violent, is someone who cannot control themselves. While also being someone who probably cares more about controlling others, because that tends to be what violence is, 
and being in control than pointing people to God and his authority and his goodness. Paul also says not quarrelsome, not looking for conflict, not looking for trouble. And then he says, not a lover of money. And as Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, do not store up yourselves treasures here on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then he goes on in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Paul gives Timothy, and I'd contend all leaderships in all churches, an expectation for the elders called to oversee their church. And these were characteristics that you only could know about if the possible elder were in the lives within the community. But he continues about leadership of the elders in the church with something that you would have to know about the elders. Here's what it says, verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's a really good question. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Can I just tell you that COVID was like one of the greatest things that ever happened to me when it comes to knowing how to lead and serve my family? Because I was stuck with them. You know what I'm saying? And I was with them day in and day out, and I was spending time with them, and I learned how to manage and love and serve my family in a way that I did not know before everything that happened with the pandemic. And we at COV believe that marriage biblically is a reflection of the gospel. So if you are married, if you are a believer and you are married to another believer, we believe it is a reflection of the gospel through the intimacy that God has gifted both men and women to have within their marriage. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. No earmuffs necessary. Through the willingness to lay down our lives for our spouses in marriage and being an elder in marriage means that we both lead and serve our families as an expression and as an example of what it would mean to lead and serve the church in an elder role. See, they go together. Paul also addresses maturity in the body of Christ. As to not put a person in the trap of having too much responsibility too soon. When I had first become a Christian, it was way back in 2001. Does anyone remember that year? Way back in 2001, I became a Christian and I was being asked to share my testimony at the church where I had become a Christian. And because I was a young and hip and engaging and obviously humble communicator, people tended to like hearing what I was saying. And because the leadership within the church where I was, where I had become a Christian, was lacking my very demographic at the time, I was being asked to do more and more upfront ministry. On top of that, I was a bit of an overachiever, and honestly, I lacked any type of humility and wanted to gather young people like me at that time and get us together to read the scriptures. And all of that sounds good. All of that sounds fine. But I remember bragging about this in the past, not actually realizing how against scripture this was as I was becoming a leader, if I was called that or not, through the influence that I was wielding 
and I would ask people to open and study the Bible with me, and the truth was I knew maybe 1% of what I ought to know. I didn't understand Bible interpretation. I didn't understand how the Bible was put together. All I knew was that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, and while I still know and emphasize that all the time, and there's nothing wrong with majoring in that, that probably was not enough depth biblically to become one of the most influential leaders within the church. The irony about my upbringing and leadership within a church is so much of what I experience is the exact opposite of what the New Testament points out about how to help a young person or a less mature person become a leader. And yet it took me years to realize that it was wrong. And the example of this church's target to attempt to use people to draw people is an example we don't live by here at COV. There aren't that many beards in this church. Let's just be clear. Now, that was 22 years ago. And just so you know, I've learned a wee bit more about God, His Word, His Gospel since, as I think we all should. But let me tell you something you probably didn't expect to hear this morning. We as a leadership fear God, and we fear offending Him. More than we fear any one person and offending them, we as a church look to Christ and his word as his definitive truth rather than moral majority of people's preferences. Not that we don't want people to have a church context that gives people attending an opportunity to engage. Did you know we have one of the best children's ministries in all the world, in my opinion? Not that I'm biased, but we do. I'm totally biased. But we want people to engage, but anything that conflicts with God's will revealed in God's word will always be what we look to first and foremost. And if you ask us to do something else, we're not going to do it. Not going to do it, all right? But we hope that the example of leadership we have at COV focused on God's word would be one that you would trust and one that you would follow and one that you would get behind because we want to unpack this. This is truly one of the most difficult things that when you are a young and less experienced uh, person in the faith, perhaps you do not realize at all what a trap it is to be put into leadership prior to your character catching up with your capacity and your abilities. So these were the characteristics that Paul taught Timothy to look for in those he would entrust the eldership of the church alongside him. And since then, since then I don't think this is just good advice but a biblical expectation of those who care and shepherd and oversee the flock of God within a church community and what we ought to abide by. And elders, which we have entrusted to shepherding of the community, also lead and care for the community with the gospel of grace as their focus. Let me let you in on a little secret today. There is nothing more as a shepherd in this community that I and we would like for you than to understand the gospel of grace. Nothing else. That is the most important thing, that you would understand that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose for you, that you can have a relationship with him, that you can trust him and follow him, and you do not have to work your way to God because God worked his way to you, and that's how good he is. That's what we want you to know. Because when you understand the gospel of grace, you see God differently. You see his plan differently. You see his word differently. You see other people differently. And you even see yourself differently. 
when one gets the gospel, they change. They communicate and live differently, and there's no formula of how this has to be and has to look, but when you grasp the beauty of God's redemptive plan, the world and this life will never be the same because you have taken the red pill, and the spiritual matrix is now able to be seen because you understand that God is good and he saved you. This is what we pray for. This is what we invest our finances in, in the hope that people would come alive in Christ and grow to look more like Jesus through the gospel being illuminated. But look at how the writer of Hebrew puts it regarding those in the care within the church community. It says in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. First off, let me speak to the leaders in the room. If you're not sure if you're a leader, you're not. All right, here we go. If you are a leader, you are serving. And by serving, what this means is you are part of the gospel being proclaimed. If you get up here and preach or play the organ or press buttons in the sound booth, if you volunteer with the children or are leading a Bible study, you are serving. And while not everyone who serves is a leader, everyone who is a leader serves. And yet when we lead, we are people who communicate the word of God in some capacity to you. We are available for theological questions, and we are walking you through a deepened understanding of the scriptures, and with that responsibility comes a pressure to not take it lightly. As James says in James chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. There are arguments about what it means to teach. But I take this to mean that as someone who communicates these very scriptures, we ought to take it very seriously. And as many of you saw in the teaching team video last week, our teachers take handling the word very seriously because our handling of the word influences those who hear us and how they view God and how they view the scriptures. And not everyone is a leader, but the ones who communicate the scriptures are people that others will learn from. And when we teach... When we teach this, if we are teaching the word of God to a child or to a person far from God or to a peer or someone who is incredibly mature, we always are held accountable to it, attempting to not mislead people from the truth of the text. So the writer of Hebrews says to remember those who communicated the word to you and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at what being in the word of God and having a responsibility for caring for others has done for their example. Humanity's messed up. Let me be clear. Sin's gross. And it is more involved in every facet of every person than I think we usually realize. And because of this, just because someone is a leader does not mean that they are without sin and are always correct. The problem is that we tend to expect any and every teacher and leader to never make a mistake when the superpower of Christianity, church, the superpower of Christianity is that, not all, that, that when leaders, not if they disappoint, but when they disappoint, when a leader fails, they have the opportunity to repent. They have the opportunity to change direction. And true and genuine repentance is a work of the Holy Spirit and a beautiful reminder of the grace that God had to give messed up people in order for us to come to God. 
So consider the outcome of the leader's way of life and imitate their faith. My faith, personally, I I can speak for my own, has become more and more Christ-centered as I have made mistakes in the faith. I haven't arrived. I still tend to try to take back control when I don't like the pain of trusting God. You know what I'm saying? But my faith is becoming less about what I can do and significantly more about what Jesus has already done. And based on God's past performance, I can trust in what God promises. So while leadership can be skewed and people are sinful and people are messed up, we have the opportunity to follow leaders and learn from them as we exercise what Paul says to those in the church of Corinth. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. And leaders, we take this seriously because we all influence people towards or away from Christ with our words and with our actions. And unless we are being reminded of the huge responsibility it is to be a leader in God's church, of God's people, we will subtly draw towards selfishness and laziness. It requires especially those whose examples are being watched and emulated what we call a grace-driven effort. Look at how the pastor and theologian D.A. Carson puts it. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness. Prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift naturally towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and we delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. To be a leader is to exemplify grace-driven effort that every believer indwelled with the Holy Spirit is able to do. Not because we can do this. Carson points out that what we naturally do is to gravitate towards any and everything that is in conflict with God, but the supernatural work of God through the Holy Spirit is to be able to be like Christ, not because we are able, but because God is able in us. And as leaders, we are to exemplify this, not out of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but by being centered on Christ and being driven by grace in our effort. So for those of us who have had awful examples of leaders and teachers, especially within Christianity, I'm sorry. But you're not special. This isn't an isolated situation. Leaders biblically are to be held to a higher standard, and far too many of us are more afraid of people's preferences not being fulfilled than that of God and his will being revealed in his word, being upheld above all else. And so I can't say that I won't disappoint you. Many of you have been here a while, so I've already disappointed you many times. And I can't always promise that every leader entrusted in this community has or will fear God and his word as we should. But I can tell you that the responsibility entrusted to us is God's way of growing both us in Christ's likeness and you under God's authority symbolized in the responsibility to shepherd and point you to God's will revealed in his word. So look at the call to action from the writer of Hebrews just a few verses later in chapter 13. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. 
because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Submission to your leaders in a church is a mixed bag. Culturally, a church community was far more involved than what people tend to do in church context today. Your church community in the first century often became quite literally the replacement of your family because in order to come to Christ, especially in the first century, for a Jew, it meant that your family would disown you for your newfound faith that Jesus is God. But let's be honest. Let's be real. Unfortunately, generally in churches today, we treat church like our local Costco. If we have a bad experience in one of them, we just drive down to the next one down the street. And so being involved and being known actually isn't as attractive to many of us as perhaps it was for those in the first century. And yet when an individual says they are part of a church community, that comes with more than just attending a church because of certain preference being fulfilled. To be part of a church community is to believe what they believe and to be under the authority of God's word, which every church has a slight different interpretation regarding of the scriptures. Some things are emphasized more. Some of the harder to read passages are ignored or overemphasized with this dogmatic view of something that perhaps was vague in the scriptures, but sometimes in our pride, I know I've done this, we tend to make more black or white when the scriptures seem to color it gray. Being part of a church community means you participate in the life of the church and even more, submit yourself to the leading and caring of the appointed shepherds. Have confidence, the the writer begins with. Have confidence in your leaders, not because we are flawless, but because you have faith that God has brought who he has to oversee the church in a way that glorifies him. And by having confidence in who God has appointed you, then submit to their authority not blindly or without any questions, but with a faith that God knows what he is doing and having confidence and trusting that God's appointed leaders for your care spiritually that have authority over you is all because God holds leaders to such a high standard of caring for the sheep because we will give an account when we stand before God of how we cared and pointed you to his word. I'm far from perfect at this. I've made mistakes, church, and I have missed opportunities for growth as much, if not more, than I have actually done some things right. But at least since I've been the lead pastor at Church of the Valley, through the will of God being revealed in the Word of God, I've seen my and other leaders' main responsibility to think biblically and to point you to what God says rather than what I think or what you think apart from the Scriptures Hence why we don't preach politics or attempt to fold the scriptures into any current event. And I just do not want to stand before God and have him say, you had the word at your disposal, leadership at Church of the Valley, and you taught people life hacks on how to be a more moral person. That seems like a big waste of time. And I didn't submit to God's call on my life of ministry to help people clean themselves up. I received the call by knowing my job is to help each of us understand how big and wide and great and beautiful is the grace of God exercised in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And as leaders, if we can remember one thing, church, one thing, 
Our job as leaders is to make known that Jesus is alive. So we have elders. We have elders, uh, both, uh, we have elders pastors. We have Mike and I, who are both paid elders, but we're pastors. We share the responsibility with currently three other elders who are not paid, Daniel Delwood, Mark Frederick, and Kyle Zilka. They help make decisions and they shepherd the flock here at COV. They are sounding boards, but also collectively my, as the lead pastor's accountability, and they are my boss on the org chart. I'm Mike's boss, but he's part of my boss. It's super weird, but it's good because it's mutual willingness to lay down your life. We have a teaching team that also includes two elders, both Mike and Daniel, I guess three elders and myself, but also includes three other staff members, Karen Miller, Malik Campbell, and Laura Stengel. And we have Ruth Zilka, who is also on the teaching team and works as a college professor. I don't know if she wanted me to call her a professor, but I just did. We also have a staff of leaders, and myself and Mike is the executive pastor. Laura Stengel is the creative director. Malik Campbell is the worship director. Aaron Riley is our children's director, and literally the best leader I know, who for some reason got in his humor decided to give me her as a wife who I get the huge honor of serving and leading in our home. Karen Miller is our community groups director and she oversees discipleship relationships and youth ministry and she does a lot. Robin Tillman is, I don't know what your title is currently, exec, my executive assistant, she's had a lot of titles, but she leads all of our events and is a big part of caring for our community. And then there's my dear friend, Barbara Simmons who's an organist, who's been on staff close to 70 years, who leads via the organ, but also leads community groups and Bible studies and pours into people in our church, including our staff. We have other people who lead within this context, who are being equipped to lead in this context, but each one of those names that I just shared are entrusted with a type of responsibility to care for the flock here at COV. So have confidence in your leaders. Submit yourself to those God has placed in authority over you. If the leaders know that they will give an account for your souls, please don't make the leader's work of caring for the flock a burden, but a joy. Because to make it harder on your leaders would be of no benefit to you. When I got to this church, there were some great people, some great people. I'm thinking about the McNallys. I adore them, and I'm glad you're here. And if it wasn't for you two, I don't know that I'd be here, to be honest. There were some great people, but there were some other people that really just wanted to hire a young spiritual bellhop, if I'm honest. And the reality is that the decisions that we have made as leaders have come with the cost of friendships, the cost of fluctuating budgets, the cost of time spent with people who did not care at all about the spiritual well-being of others, the cost of being a leader even here at COV, has been very expensive. But following Jesus will always be expensive. And the hard stuff has honestly grown so much of us so much. Our elders, when we began, other than Mike and I, all the other elders had never been an elder before. They were rookie elders. But five years later, through all the stuff that we've had to experience and go through, never looked at them as rookie leaders or rookie elders ever again because they've been through it. And they've gone through the fire, and by God's grace, they're more refined because of it. I have the honor to get up here, generally whenever I want, because I pick the preaching schedule currently. 
but I'm able to preach the gospel. And I, as I've preached the gospel, have learned more and more that the gospel isn't about me. And to talk with others who are either beginning to understand that the gospel is not about them, it's about Jesus, or perhaps have always known that way before I did, but it is so thrilling, it is so exciting, it is so life-giving that I wonder why so many church leaderships focus much of everything they do to just attempt to appease people, rather than pointing people to God's word and being humble enough to own our mistakes, because it isn't about us or any one leader. It's about Jesus and his work on our behalf. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something for your leaders, but please exclude me because pride is an issue for me, okay? Would you take a prayer request card in front of you if, if you choose to and write out an encouragement for someone who influences you in this church body? Would you let them know how they have been a great example of grace to you or a shepherd to you? Tell them how possibly you value the way that they have taught the word of God to you through words or through example, not just from the pulpit, but perhaps in a Bible study or in a one-on-one, -on -one. and maybe explain the difference that that has made to you. Maybe filling out a card doesn't leave you enough room or your handwriting's like mine. Send a text or an email. Give a leader a phone call this week. Be someone who encourages those who will give an account for you. It is a hard job, and it's a sanctifying job. But sometimes being reminded that the work of grace-driven effort that is being put in as we serve Christ really does help us have joy in the calling that he has given us. Worship team, come on up. And I'm going to answer the question for leadership. What is it you do here? When it comes to leadership, we serve Christ by serving you. That is what we do when it comes to leadership. We serve Christ by serving you. Now, the worship team's going to get ready to lead us in two songs. And I would ask you, if you want to stay seated and write out a, a card or something, I'd encourage you to do so. If, if you're not, I'd encourage you to maybe stand up. And as we sing these songs and you hear these lyrics, to think about the goodness of your God. And I'm going to stand in this corner. And I'm not asking any of the other leaders to pray because I didn't think about this until this morning. But I'm, I'm going to stand in this corner. And if anyone needs prayer, if you just need prayer, it's been a week, guys. VBS was a lot. And there have been a lot of other things happening. And if you need prayer, I'm going to stand and they're going to sing two songs. And during those two songs, I am happy to hear what's going on, and pray for you if you choose to come up. And if you don't, that's fine. Just fill out the card. Put it in the offering box as you leave. We want to know your prayer request. We want to know what's going on in the life of the community of the church because we care about you and we want to lift you up to God. So let's pray. They'll play, and we'll pray. <laughs> All right. God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that a lot of what each and every one of us has experienced in leadership doesn't change the fact that you are good. Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith as leadership here at COV to be under your word, to trust you, to think biblically, to care for others. I pray that you'd, you'd even this week for each of us who are leaders, you'd remind us of the responsibility it is, it is to care for your flock. And there are people in this room that don't know it, but there will come a day that they're a leader in this church or somewhere else. And I ask God that they would be under your word and they would understand what a big deal it is to trust you with 
the responsibility that you've entrusted them. God, would you help us be followers of you? Would you help us participate in the life of the church? Would you help us be a community that exalts the fact that Jesus, you are alive. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.